Hi Seaberg, we're so glad that you could join us this morning and especially excited that you could be with us for the continuation of the Citizen Series. If you don't know me, my name is Emily and this is my dad. You can call him Derek. My wife Tracy and I are on the Deacons team at Constantinburg Common Ground and our kids Jack and Emily attend the Next Generation Ministries. Some brew family updates. My brother Jack and I are finally back at school, which my mom is totally relieved about. But probably lockdown has been the hardest for my dad because of work and all. But to be honest, I think we're all fine now. First up, let's look at some family news. We're celebrating a lot of birthdays in the community this week. Ava Beckenstein, Katie Stephen and Liam Matthews. Luke Crayer, who recently relocated to the USA with his family. Leisha Bartman, Heather Phillips, who turned 40. And then, Kate Cooper-Williams, who also turned 40 today. We hope that you all had an incredible day and spent some lovely time with your family and ate some delicious cake. Before we start the meeting, I want to give you an update on what's happening in the life of the church. Just a reminder that we have our new online Justice Journey course starting soon. This series of four Zoom workshops is designed to equip, inspire and challenge you to better engage with justice issues that surround you. The content will be varied and interactive, including breakout room discussions, listening to stories, and big group teachings. You'll be provided with prescribed reading and reflection before each workshop and optional additional resources to explore in your own time. You can find all the details, including how to book, in the description of this video. Then lastly, don't forget that after church today at 10.45am, we're meeting on Zoom to connect and have a chat for 20 minutes over a cup of tea or coffee. The Zoom details are in the description of this video. We hope you'll all join us. That's it for now. Right now we're going to be handing over to Kyle and Michelle who will be leading the meeting. Enjoy the meeting everyone. Hello, welcome to Common Ground Church. My name is Kyle, this is Michelle. We're part of the Inner City Congregation and we'd love to welcome everyone to our meeting today. And we're gonna jump into worship now and I'd love us to prepare our hearts as we go there. And Michelle's gonna read from the book of Revelation. But there's two things I just wanna point out in this passage. The first is you'll see a picture of the diverse family of God. Um, and every time we see a diverse picture of the family of God in heaven, when we get to do that together now on earth, it's a foretaste of that future reality. And the second thing you'll notice is that um, not just now but even in heaven going on for eternity we're going to be singing and praising Jesus for his sacrifice on the cross for us. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Let's sing together, church.
that you would continue to be glorified as we meet together today, as we open up your word and as we spend time with you. Would you come into our homes, come into our spaces and be glorified as we spend this time together. Amen. As we mentioned earlier, my name's Kyle, this is Michelle, and we'd love to uh, extend a warm welcome to any guests joining us today. And if that is you, we'd love to invite you to stick around till the end of the meeting where we'll have a whole bunch of next steps for you. Parents, it's time for you to set your kids up on their devices for today. So if you're part of Kids Rock Ignite or Frequency, all the links that you need are in the description below. Here's your gap to set yourselves up.
One of the things that we love to do when we gather together is uh, generously give to the cause of Christ. And I'd love to read a quick verse from uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. It says, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And we can see that God's not interested necessarily in the amounts that we give, but it's the heart of love that he cares about and the heart of generosity. And everything that we do as a church um, happens because of God's generosity through his people to his cause. And so we just want to say thank you to every one of you who has been giving generously in this time. And for those of you who would like to start giving, you can find the giving codes for your specific congregation uh, on our website or on your congregation-specific Facebook page. We're so excited today that we get to carry on our Citizens series and it's going to be such an important and timely topic today as we discuss what does it mean to be capital C citizens in a racially divided world. So let's open up our hearts to God's Word today. Well, hello everyone. Fantastic to be here with you. If you don't know me, my name's Donovan, along with my wife Heidi and a brilliant group of friends and pastors. Uh, We get to give leadership to Common Ground Constantiaberg. My family is doing exceptionally well. Uh, Being the dad of two little girls is so much fun. All the giggles and the cuddles and the hug and the snuggles. I mean, it really is a delight. Uh, We often spend time with friends of ours. They've got two little boys. They're a year older than our girls. And uh, we were hanging out with them the other day. And their mom, the boy's mom, overheard uh, their eldest speaking to my eldest saying, Okay, so we've decided tomorrow we're going to kiss, but don't tell anyone. So, of course, she came back and told us. We all laughed on the outside. I wasn't laughing on the inside. And we spent, when I say we, Heidi spent the next couple of conversations with Rachel talking about how nice it is to just hug our friends when we see them. It's such a nice thing to do. I wasn't on that page at all. I was more like, guys, we're in a pandemic. Masks on. All of you kids cover up immediately. Um, I mean, it's all sweet and innocent, but I am not ready for what's going to come my way as these girls get older and older. But as I said, it is a delight. It's been a while since I've got to preach, so great to be with you this morning. Many of you probably know what I'm going to speak about, but if you don't, uh, let me introduce the topic to you. It's something we need to be talking about, especially in the church. It's filling our social media feeds, our news cycles. It's spoken about in every sphere and sector of society in South Africa and across the world. It's personal. It's systemic. It's part of our everyday lives. And yet some don't like to talk about it or think about it at all, while some of our church family can never get away from it. It elicits anger, pain, despair, grief, fight, sadness in most For some, it's something to be ignored or left behind in the dawn of a new era. It's deeply personal, but experienced communally. Today, I want to speak about race. We're in our citizen series. We're exploring what it looks like for us to be capital C citizens of heaven while living here on earth. And so the big idea for today is how do we live as capital C citizens in a racially divided world? Now, I guess we're all feeling something at this point. As South Africans, I don't think it's possible for us to mention or talk about race without eliciting some kind of a response from us. I mean, I'm feeling things. Our pastoral team is and has been feeling things. Over the last few months, God's been doing something really significant and meaningful in our pastoral team. We've had loads of really significant, tender, robust, emotional, prayerful conversations around living and leading as capital C citizens in a racially divided world. And and honestly, I can't tell you how grateful I am for this team of men and women that God's put around Heidi and I. I'm so grateful for their lives, for their wisdom, for their partnership, and how uh, God's causing us to just share our lives with each other in such beautiful ways. And other than the team, I mean, personally, I'm also feeling things. God's been shaking my world in radical and intensive ways over the last few months as I've and I'm trying to align myself with what God's doing in me and what it looks like for me to be a faithful follower of Jesus. So I'm I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling hopeful for myself, hopeful for our church, hopeful for the nation. I know there aren't any easy answers. There aren't anywhere around. We've got to go through some difficult times. But when God is at work in something, 
There's real hope for us and there's real hope for our children, which is so important. I'm feeling a little uncertain about, you know, where things will go, what God has in mind for us as we embark on this journey. But I'm so confident and committed in the journey. I find myself, if I'm honest, wondering where I've been for the last 20 years in this democracy. As a Christ follower, as a pastor, why have I been so slow to see some of the realities of my fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ? Why have I been slow to look inwardly and see some of the realities that I'm living with? And if I'm honest, it grieves me. And, And I feel sorrow and I'm sorry that it's taken me so long to realize some things. I'm also feeling deep compassion and and pain uh, for some of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm uncertain about how this message is going to be received by everyone. You know, sometimes uh, you don't want to get into a conversation like this, but if I wait till I've got my head and my heart around everything, I'm never going to say anything at all. And probably the biggest thing that I'm feeling is I'm trying to figure out what God would ask of me. You know, here we are, August 2020. I'm a white male pastor in Cape Town who's been deeply impacted by the ideology, the narrative, the systems of apartheid that I grew up believing was normal. That God's busy reorientating around his word and his way and his will. You know, I grew up never worrying about what beach to go to, never worrying about where I needed to sit on a bus or a train or where I could travel. I remember as a young kid going to St. James and seeing those signs, net blankers. Didn't understand Afrikaans at the time, but it's whites only. That's had an impact on me. What about the people for whom that sign was written? What has that taught them about their own value or their own worth? I'm feeling Also, a deepening and growing conviction of the tragedy of still living in a racially divided world today. And I'm convinced God wants to redeem and transform us. And too much time has already passed. I remember a few months ago, the staff did a a, a trip and we we went through an organization called Isimpambana. And we did a walk through the city of Cape Town. And the idea was to explore the role of the evangelical church in apartheid. One of the places we ended up going to was this. And you'll see over here, there's what can be a memorial. And that's the place where the slave auction tree used to be. That was the place where slaves were auctioned and sold. And right in the background, you can see the mudderkak of the time. And I remember looking at this and seeing the irony of under the eaves of the church, slave trade thriving. And I remember thinking that's so absurd. I mean, how ironic. But then the thought came to me. What are, what are we living in today? What are we comfortable with today? What's living in the shadow and the eaves under the eaves of our church that our kids are going to look at us one day and say, how could you let this happen? How could you not have done more? Or worse, when I stand before God after living my one and only life and feeling I haven't been faithful to what God has called me to. I haven't been faithful to what God has been stirring up to me. And so these questions have stirred me, they're shaking me, they're inspiring me, and they're filling me with hope. Now, I've got no doubt that our racially divided world is not a world we should be comfortable living in as Christ followers. Maybe you're not yet a Christ follower. I just want to say it's fantastic that you're here. It's fantastic that you're watching. I hope you feel welcome. My desire for you is that you would discover this hope that we have as Christ followers, those that have placed their trust in Christ and entrusted their lives to following Him. My hope is that you will see that God loves you, that God God desires and wants to invite you into a life of faith, a life of hope, a life of belonging, of significance, of purpose. I hope that you see that it's only God that can redeem the broken and torn heart Uh, that is ours, that is ravaged by sin, that God can restore and forgive you as he's forgiven me and as he's forgiven millions around the world. And it's also this great salvation that God brings us that not only rescues us from sin, but also teaches and opens a unique way for us to find each other in this racially divided world. 
Now, of course, most of you watching are Christ followers, and so this message is mostly aimed at you. We are the capital C citizens of heaven, living in this world, longing to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I want to pray for us, and I want to, want to ask God to be with us as we explore at this topic and let me just say initially this was going to just be a one-week message but as we explored and as we chatted as a pastoral team we've decided to to do this over two weeks so next week I'll be doing part two of this message but let me pray for us Father God as we open your word as we open our hearts we ask you to come and speak to us in profound and powerful ways God we ask you that you would fill us with hope we ask that you would fill us with humility God, my, my prayer is, is along the lines of Psalm 139 that says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, that that would be our posture, that that would be the work that you do in us as we go on. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, I want to ask for some grace from you as this message continues. I mean, to state the obvious, it's just one message and next week, so that's just two messages. It's just a small step in what is a far greater journey with many moments and many conversations that are going to need to be had. So I'm asking you to keep that in mind as we go on today. I've also needed to take some some quite complex and nuanced uh, issues and realities and simplify them for the sake of of this message and so I've tried to do that but but truth be told I'm not sure and I'm well I'm pretty sure that I don't fully understand all these realities and all these nuances myself so again I'm asking you to extend grace to me and as I get into this message I think it's so important where we start where we start this conversation as I said it, it can be so overwhelming speaking about race or racism it can be nuanced it can be complex we don't know where to start so we don't start but I want to say that as Christ followers, we start this conversation in the same place that we finish it, in God's worth, in God's word, exploring his truth. And so I'm aligning my voice with both Ian and Andre, who've preached over the last two weeks, that what, we, what we're talking about, what we're primarily dealing with when we speak about living in a racially divided world is sin. Sin doesn't just mean we've done something bad or, you know, we're doing wrong. The biblical word for sin is, is a word borrowed from archery, which speaks of missing the mark, missing the target. Other words to describe sin are it's to overstep or transgress limits. It's like trespassing on forbidden ground. What sin is, is, is falling short of God's standards, of God's character. It's ignoring or defying God's intention for creation, both for our lives and for the world that we live in. And so our racially divided world and our personal part in that is outside of God's character. It's outside of his design. It's outside of his will for this world and for us. And it's a great offense to the one who created us and loves us. It's saying to God that we know better, that we can do better, that we can thrive in our own ways. It's foolishness. So when we speak about racism or living in a racially divided world, we aren't primarily dealing with a skin issue. Uh, we're dealing with a sin issue. But of course, many of us experience the pain of the sin as a skin issue. And as capital C citizens of heaven, we are those that are learning to say no to sin and yes to God. And that's what I pray happens throughout this message and next week. Okay, today I want to explore one big question. Here it is. What has the Bible got to say to our racially divided world? What has the Bible got to say to our racially divided world? Now, the word race or racism, you won't find it in the scriptures. And yet the Bible has so much to say to us on this topic. The Bible identifies groups of people in various ways. You hear about nations, tribes, tongues, cultures. Well, what does it have to say about these groups? Well, there's one fundamental thing that all these groups have in common. And that's the Imago Dei. Look at Genesis 1, 27. It says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. All people are created in the image and likeness of God. 
And you see this biblical truth carried on throughout the Bible. And the Imago Dei, the fact that we're created in God's image, has had, it has far-reaching meaning and impact on so much of our life. But probably the greatest meaning of all is that it establishes a, stand, a, a standard of human worth and value for us, for the world. Through the Bible, we're taught that people, all people, have worth and value because that's God's desire. That's God's creative intense. This means that humanity has more in common with each other than any other superficial label or distinction that we can make. Now, it sounds so obvious to say, but honestly, growing up in a racially divided South Africa, it's something I'm learning and I've had to learn. I remember living in Mozambique many years ago. I lived there for six months and I, I was in this little village wasn't uncommon to find people who had never seen white people before, very isolated. And I remember sitting with this man. I had nothing in common with him. Our past, our present, our future. Uh, we didn't speak the same language. We had different education. We valued different things. And I remember one day sitting in this little hut and he crossed his legs and he started rocking backwards and forwards with his knees kind of under his chin. And it was so bizarre to me. In a moment, I realized that wow, I, I've sat like that before and, and I've rocked like that before. And as absurd as it sounds, in that moment, God taught me something that, that this man and me were the same. That there was something innately human about both of us that if I'm honest, I don't think I had realized up till then. I just saw us as different. I saw us as having nothing in common. And, and honestly, I thought of myself as probably superior and better and better educated and more knowledgeable. And man, those are the moments that God uses to unravel us and help us realize that, man, maybe we're not seeing things as God would like us to see them. So rich, poor, male, female, educated, less educated, black, colored, white, Indian, South African, Zimbabwean, tall, short. It has no influence or impact on someone's worth or value in God's green earth. Maybe helpful for me at this point to just draw a distinction between two terms that we sometimes use interchangeably but really shouldn't. And that's ethnicity and race. Ethnicity refers to the way people identify with each other based on commonalities such as language, history, ancestry, nationality, customs, cuisine, art. That's why in the scriptures you hear of nations, tribes, tongues and cultures. These are ethnicities. Race is something entirely different to that. I mean, there's near unanimous scientific agreement that race is a social construct, meaning it was created by people, not by God. Race goes far beyond the scope of ethnicity. In other words, the idea of whiteness is relatively new in history. Historically, it would be more accurate to speak of Dutch or German or English and so on. That also... <laughs> The Kosa, the Zulu, the Sutu were tribes that through human construction got pulled together and labeled black. I'm still practicing my clicks, as you can hear. But these different tribes were all pulled together and given one label, black. But why the need for this racial construct? Why the need to do this at all? Well, to be quite blunt, maybe a little bit crude, is that race was constructed to justify the oppression and exploitation of some by others. You know, when it came to colonization, slavery, the exploitation of resources, a largely Christianized, Christianized people needed to find ways to justify their mistreatment of others. And so in order to do this, uh, people started to, to, to de-emphasize the differences between different European ethnicities and began to describe white people as a collective that were inherently superior to people of other colors. And so we see race is about power. Race is about exerting control. White became the norm and good and everyone else became not white, not quite good, not quite superior. In other words, the only way for me to justify as someone who's been Christianized, my abhorrent behavior towards other people, I needed to construct and live in a narrative that dehumanizes their God-given value and worth 
to the extent that my guilt is justified and my behavior can continue. The less human someone is, the less bad I have to feel about my treatment of them. And this is the racial identity narrative that was created. And so race and racism began to thrive. Bakhlatsi Meshur, he's the Ravi Zachariah International Ministries here in Africa. He recently said this, racism is a non-biblical construct that has very real consequences in our world today. Now, I realize I might be oversimplifying things. I've spoken to you about that, but I'm, I'm trying to keep things simple for us. So continue to be gracious to me. So with all of that in mind, I want us to turn to our text for today, James 2. We're going to look at verses 1 to 9. Follow in your Bible or follow on the screen. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into courts? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Well, this is the word of God. May it nourish, confront and transform us as we go on. So remember, I'm answering the question, what has the Bible got to say to a racially divided world? Well, firstly, racism is a sin. Look at verse 1 to 9 and 9. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Verse 9, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I think this text helpfully unpacks racism as the sin of partiality. It literally means to accept a face. Other translations use the terminology to show favoritism. So what James is telling the church in no uncertain terms is that treating people in different ways according to their outward appearance, appearance is sin. It's a violation of God's design. Now, as we look at this James text, let me say a few things. One, this text is specifically speaking to socioeconomic realities. But there's the timeless truth, truth of the Imago Dei that we're able to draw out of this text. Also, don't want us to make the mistake of, as South Africans to think of the rich man as white and the poor man as black. I'm not drawing on symbolism in this text. I'm drawing out a universal truth that we can lean on. And if I'm dead honest, I and our team really struggled with the idea of comparing racism to something like partiality. I mean, it just sounds so soft. It sounds like we're minimizing something that has caused so much destruction, so much pain in God's world. I really don't want to do that. I don't want to minimize something as dark as racism. I want us to think rather of partiality as being on a, on a spectrum. What we have to realize is that, is that racial part, partiality, apartheid, racism, it's on the very dark, deep, extreme side of partiality. I mean, racial partiality in this country is the most grievous kind of partiality because of how it found expression in everyday life. I mean, it was enforced through political power. It became institutionalized in our laws, in our geography, and sadly, in our hearts and minds. I mean, that's exactly what apartheid is and did so effectively. It's the system of institutionalized racial segregation. Maybe a helpful picture to think of is to think of partiality as a seed. When it gets planted, when it gets watered, 
It grows into the trees of racism, classism, sexism, prejudice, discrimination, bias, hates, genocide, and so on. Well, this seed of racial partiality has been sown in our country and it has borne much fruit. Racial partiality has dehumanized all of us, not equally, but all of us. It's a perversion of God's perfect plan for us. Like alien vegetation, it's spread to every nook and cranny of our lives and our nation. It's, it's like a mighty forest that stands and is a front to God. But like all alien vegetation, it must be brought down, it must be burned and removed. You see, we may have in this country taken away the shackles that were the laws which upheld and enforced apartheid. But I don't think we've done enough to tear down one of the most dangerous evils of all. And that's the story that we're living in, in our minds and our hearts. This racial identity narrative that was constructed uh, to oppress people has taught us to assign value to people based on the color of their skin, based on their earth seat, as Colin likes to say. Well, James wants Christ followers, capital C citizens, to know that, to, to know that partiality, it's not just a failure to conform to religion. It's not just a social taboo. James uses very strong language here. He wants us to see that partiality or racism is akin to denying our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, says James, you cannot hold to, to faith in Jesus Christ and embrace the gospel and harbor racial partiality in, in any form. They're wholly incompatible with each other. As the gospel takes root in our lives, it uproots racism, it uproots partiality, it uproots the walls that divide us in, in our real lives and in our hearts and our minds. So in a moment, I want to briefly pull out three ways that this text shows us that racial partiality puts us at odds with God and God's intention for the world. But first, I want to I share a fear with us that I carry. Like Ian said, I carry the fear for us that, that we're living in the danger of focusing so much on the brokenness out there that we, we fail to do the humble and deep work of dealing with the brokenness in here. You know, growing up in South Africa, I would say that we all need to do the work of addressing the impact of apartheid and the narrative of, of racial identity that's living within us. Now, some of you might be thinking I'm being a bit harsh. Some of you might be thinking I'm projecting my own struggles onto you, that not everyone in this country is a racist, and, and I hear you on that. But please understand, the sin of racism or racial partiality doesn't mean that you're a part of the KKK or what was the Beer. In fact, Rick Warren, he's a well-known pastor in the States. He's got over 100 nationalities in his church. He recently spoke on the topic of partiality, saying that it's possibly the most prevalent sin in the world. Now, I can't prove that. I don't have any stats to prove it, but I know that I can be really quick to judge others. You know, studies do show us that in the first 30 seconds of meeting someone, we gain a perspective on that person and that we largely carry that perspective, uh, perspective with us going forward. You know, I can struggle with this to the extent that things like beauty, age, weights, wealth, dress sense, religion, the car someone drives, and yes, their skin color speaks to me about who they are and how I should relate to them. If I'm honest, all of these things, they, they send me messages that I'm conditioned to interpret in certain ways. And sadly, all too often, I tend to take these thoughts with me and into the way I treat people. Now, honestly, I think many Christ followers desire to be free of racism. I don't think many people think of themselves as carrying racial partiality. But again, I want to say to us, we need to be conscious of the power of the story that's been created in this nation through apartheid for so many years, the power it's had to impact our hearts and minds. And it's not always overt, often it's subversive. Perhaps our behaviors and thoughts have become so indoctrinated and so penetrated with this racial partiality that we don't even think about it anymore. It's totally normative to us 
and sometimes we don't even question it. It's alarming how much I'm discovering, how unaware I am that what I think is normal is not normal at all. It's just white or Western. And I've never really challenged it as anything but that. It's alarming how much I'm discovering that what I think is better may not be better after all. It's just what I've learned and what I've been told is better. Let me share some thoughts and experiences that maybe you can identify with. Some parents in our church shared the story with me of how recently they were at a meeting at their school uh, discussing uh, racism in schools. And someone suggested uh, that one of the solutions needs to be greater diversity in the teaching faculty. There needs to be uh, more teachers that aren't white in the school. And almost immediately someone put up their hand and said, but we need to make sure that we're maintaining the standard of education in the school. Now, they were probably completely uh, unaware of what they were implying. So unaware that they didn't even have a problem or have second thoughts or feel nervousness about saying something like that in a public gathering, which in itself says a lot about how pervasive uh, this racial partial thinking is in South Africa. What they were implying was that teachers who aren't white are unable to educate their kids to the same standard as white teachers are. Some of my friends shared a story of how sometimes they hang out in, in social groups where there's majority uh, white people. And so often people tend to congregate together. And unless they initiate towards others, they get the sense that people uh, just don't move toward them in, in love and in kindness and excitement. And, and with the past that we've come to, man, we've got to be so aware of, of, of these things and moving towards people. So often we assume our way is normal. I mean, sometimes you come, uh, you come across two uh, Zulu ladies who are, you know, or men that are speaking so loudly. They're like shouting to each other from across the room. And, and we're, uh, as white people, we're some, sometimes so offended by these people. I mean, don't, don't people know that this is rude to shout to each other? Don't they know this isn't good behavior? Well, well no, that's just our behavior. That's just what, what we've been told is the right way to behave. And then how's this one? A friend of mine shared a story about an equivalent of a CEO. He runs a pretty substantial business and he often goes into business meetings with a few of his colleagues that work for him. And often just before the meeting starts, everyone will kind of come into a room and there'll be a lot of a banter between everyone. And most people, you know, they'll give him the cordial greeting, but they won't really engage with him much. And kind of as the meeting comes to order, all eyes turn to this guy because he is the main guy. He is the boss. He's the decision maker. And it's incredible how quickly people's attitudes shift and how all of a sudden people start giving him the, the attention that he probably rightly deserves. And so interesting how our first impressions, how our preconceived ideas, how the narrative that we've been taught to live in impacts our behavior so profoundly. What about people in our church who have mixed marriages, whose kids are trying to process why people treat their parents differently or why people treat their siblings differently? It's very difficult and it's very harmful. Okay, I quickly want to pull out three ways that this James text shows us that racial partiality puts us at odds with God. Firstly, racial partiality puts us at odds with God's justice. Verse 4 says, have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves? Now in my mind, this gets right to the heart of the sin of racial partiality or racism. If you lean into anything I say, lean into this. In creation, God the true judge of all things has declared the value and worth of people everywhere for all time. When we challenge this by showing partiality, we play God and we challenge God's creative intent. Said in another way, when we assign worth or value to someone based on their earth suit, we're challenging and perverting God's will. Or maybe I could say it like this. Recognizing and seeing color is not the primary issue here. The biblical danger and sin for us is that we assign value and worth to people based on the color of their skin. Can I say that again? Recognizing and seeing color is not the primary issue. 
The biblical danger and sin for us is that we assign value and worth based on those color differences. I mean, as capital C citizens living in this world, how can we represent God when we discard His creative intent? I mean, how will we we ever be a representation of our heavenly home when we dehumanize each other? Okay, secondly, racism puts us at odds with God's ways. You can read the text. If you really fulfill the royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin, are convicted by the law as transgressors. Again, we're reminded that, that race or racism is simply not social incongruency or being culturally inappropriate. It's morally wrong before our Creator. And actually, one of the things I love about this text is that it doesn't, it goes far beyond asking us not to show partiality. It's not calling for neutrality or tolerance. No, no, it's saying, it's calling us to, to actually show partiality or to show favoritism towards all people. We're to act favorably to everyone we meet. And then, of course, James gives this brilliant example of how racial partiality impacts how we treat each other. It tells the story of the, the rich man and the poor man. You see, racism, as I've said, it doesn't just live in our minds. It plays itself out in our actions and in South Africa in radical and devastating and pervasive ways. Racial partiality has consequent actions in all of our lives. And James makes this painfully obvious in what is a really powerful example. You know, another way to translate this text where it says, sit down at my feet, is to say, sit down under my footstool. Can you imagine that? The host has a seat for his feet, but his guest is made to sit on the floor. This man treats his feet better than he treats his guest. James wants us to see the radical injustice that that racial partiality, that racism births in us. No, it's not just human nature. It's not just the way things are. It's sin. Thirdly, racism puts us at odds with the family he is building. Throughout the text, you pick up this familial language. Verse 1, he speaks about brothers. I mean, the ESV falls a bit short here. Uh, Most translations speak of brothers and sisters more correctly. And then in verse 5, he warms the whole family thing up by speaking about my beloved brothers and sisters. So James is drawing our attention to the incompatibility of racism with faith in Christ. You see, God is not only saving people. Through our salvation, He also purchases for us the right to be adopted into God's family. Living with racial partiality puts us at odds with God's intention and God's work to create and to pull together himself a family of capital C citizens that are living in this world, seeking God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. As capital C citizens of heaven, we belong to God. We belong to each other. Racism destroys and undermines this unity that God desires. Okay, let me summarize where I've been today. I've been answering the question, what has the Bible got to say to our racially divided world? And we've done it through looking at James chapter 2. We've seen that racism is sin that's based on showing partiality at its very essence. It's the sin of racial partiality. And it's incompatible with the gospel. It's incompatible with true faith in Christ at at its essence. Racism is assigning value and worth to people, contrary to the values and worth God himself has given to them. And that plays itself out in our actions in myriads of ways. We've seen that it puts ourselves at odds with God's God's justice, at odds with God's ways, at odds with the family God's building. Well, next week, we're going to answer a second question. How does the Bible empower us to live as capital C citizens in a racially divided world? We're going to look at how the Bible gives us means, methods, and manners to address this racial partiality with us. I mean, the story we're living in, 
This, narr- this racial identity narrative that has become so pervasive, particularly in South Africa, it's not going to end until we're ready to do the work of addressing, challenging, and repenting. That means having a change of mind, having a change of opinion about racial partiality. And so we're going to explore that. We're going to touch on other things. We're going to speak maybe to those of you who feel too nervous to get into this conversation, too nervous to speak about race. We're living in a cancel culture, you know, where if you say one thing wrong, you get written off. I mean, we've got to be careful of the woke police who, who trawl a social media just waiting to take someone apart. You know, we need to maybe build some resilience uh, in this conversation. You know, how do we go about seeking uh, unity without creating further divides? And is this even possible? Is there even hope for us? I really hope you're going to join us next week. But as we land, let me pray for us. Father God, as we've opened your scriptures, as we've, we've looked at our lives and our nation, God, you're speaking to us in profound ways. God, you're calling us to a better way. God, you're not condemning us. You're inviting us to align our lives with the gospel. You're inviting us to conform to your good and perfect will. And God, I want to pray that we would be a people who does that. That God, in great humility, in great love, trusting in your spirits and your truth, that you would transform us, God. That more than ever before, Christ followers, that Constantiaburg, would become this true expression of family that you're building in this world, that you're always intended for us. And God, I pray that that you would help us as Christ followers across the board to this week pray that Psalm 139 prayer, that, that search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's an offensive way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. Now, God, as we pray this prayer, as we open our lives and our minds and our hearts to you, God, that you would lead us, that you would grow us, that you would nurture and transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just as I go, we're going to play out with a video that our team has put together for us and that we've pulled together a whole lot of people and it's based on the Common Ground Diversity Declaration. So enjoy this and I'll see you next week. We believe all ethnicities were created by God and declared good. Our ethnic heritage has no bearing on our standing before God. We are all equal in dignity and worth in His eyes. In Christ, we are given a new identity and welcomed as the children of God. Meaning that all other believers are brothers and sisters. And that God calls all His followers to be united, especially in the midst of ethnic diversity. Undermining God's shalom through prejudicial actions and attitudes is therefore sin. But through His life, death, and resurrection, Jesus offers forgiveness, healing, and wholeness to us all. The Gospel is therefore our motivation, our method, and our means for reconciliation. And with Jesus as our perfect model, we live this out in a Christ-like manner. I am a citizen. I. I am a citizen. 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 We are all citizens of heaven. Just before we jump onto our congregational pages for some next steps, we just want to make a resource available to any of you who might be looking into the claims of Christ and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christ follower at this point. Um, it's called an Ignite booklet. It's a free resource available for you in the link below. And it is a 31-day journey into the Bible for be- new believers and not yet believers. And we'd love to say to you, hey, give that a download and check it out. Lastly, to our guests, thank you so much for joining us. Please remember to fill out the welcome form. The links are in the description. And then to everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you have a wonderful week. Hi again, everyone. What an incredible and challenging message today from Don. If you're part of Seaburg and would like to connect with a pastor, please send us a message. 
We've included Don, Colin and Nkulu's phone numbers as well as our Seaberg phone number for you to use in the description of this video. We'd love to support you as best we can during this time. If you are part of Seaberg or have just started coming along and you'd like to get more connected into the community, please send a message to Simon. He oversees our live group ministry at Constantinburg and he'd love to help you. If you'd like to join us for our pre-meeting prayer meeting, this is an awesome time of connecting with each other and God before we head into our Sunday meeting. We meet each Sunday morning from 9am to 9.20am, but if you log in from 845 there'll be people to relationally connect with beforehand. We also have a weekly prayer meeting each Tuesday that is open for all. Details for both are in the description of this video. If you would like to share your story of God's activity in your life, an encouragement or prophetic word, email seabergstories at commonground.co.za. We'd love to stand with you in prayer. Send a WhatsApp or SMS today for any prayer request needs you have. We'd love to pray for you. We have some great resources on our website, daily devotionals and past preaching series. Please log on and have a look. Don't forget to grab your cup of coffee or tea and join us in the Zoom chat room at 10.45am. Next week, join us as Don concludes with part two of the topic, Citizens of Heaven in a Racially Divided World. That's, That's it, it from us. us. We hope to see you again soon.